All right, it's time for us to go ahead and get started tonight. We are so happy that you're here. Uh, our summer is coming to an end. Uh, Labor Day weekend is coming up. I guess that officially uh, ends our summer. And of course, this is the last of our summer series. And we've had an outstanding uh, group of men uh, to come and to speak to us and to uh, speak on topics that are very pertinent for us and our daily lives. And we appreciate all the men that have been here each week. We appreciate you for participating as well. Of course, tonight our speaker is no stranger. He's been here before. And we always enjoy it when Brother Art Williams uh, is with us. And just a, a few words about Brother Art. Uh, Art is from Elba, Alabama. And uh, Art grew up in a Christian family. His father's been a preacher all of his life. Uh, he's 76 years old, and he's still the full-time minister at the Geneva Church of Christ. And, of course, Art's a very talented uh, individual. I first got acquainted with Art uh, when my children were uh, in elementary at ACA, and he taught music, and they always thoroughly uh, enjoyed uh, that class, especially because of Brother Art's ability, and uh, there's probably a lot more I could say about some of the great things that he's done in his field, but I'm not going to do that tonight, but I will say he's currently working at Fulton University as the chairman of the Department of Music, and so we're honored to have him with us tonight. And I hope you'll give him uh, your attention for the remaining part, part of our time tonight. It is a real pleasure to be with you, as always. And I'm thankful tonight that we have a chance not only to be together, to study a part of God's Word, but also to talk about the topic that I have been given. And that is our relationship with God. Having time to reflect on our relationship with God and what it means to us. When Doug reached out to me in March of this year, he had a list of all the topics. So he was putting this together long ago. And immediately off of that list, this was the topic that jumped out to me the most. And the reason is because this topic has been near and dear to my heart for about 25 years now. The importance of our relationship with God and why it matters. It was about 25 years ago that for the first time in my life, I heard a preacher say something about the importance of his relationship with God in his personal life. And what he said and how he described it forever changed my life. And I'll talk to you more about that as we go on tonight. But needless to say, I'm glad we're here together. I think the title of this topic suggests two things. It's time to reflect on God and our relationship with Him. That tells me, first of all, that this is something important. That our relationship with God is something we should give thought to regularly. But secondly, it tells me that maybe this is an area that we need to give more thought to. That maybe we need additional encouragement in that area because it's an area in which we can become deficient or lacking. It's no surprise to you that we're living in a world today that is very anti-Christian. They want no mention of God anywhere in the public sphere. They want to do everything they can to take him out of everything, out of the schools, out of the public uh, discussion, even off of our money. And yet, you and I, here we are as followers of Christ with the greatest message there's ever been, the responsibility of imparting that to others. And therefore, I want to suggest to you tonight as we begin that our relationship with God is all the more important because 
not only will it affect our life and the quality of our spiritual life with the Lord, but also because it will affect our impact in the lives of others and how likely they are to be attracted to Him because of what they see or don't see in us. But I want us to think to begin with about our own relationship with God. I feel like over the years I have seen Christians who are faithful to attend every service of the church, who are doing everything they know to do, and yet they may sometimes wonder inside, is this all there is? Is this the the abundant life that Christ promised? Where is the joy that I'm supposed to be having? Where is this life-changing transformation? I'm afraid in too many cases, Christians think that the Christian life is simply about becoming a Christian as soon in life as you can, attending church faithfully, doing an occasional good work here or there, trying to follow the set of rules and trying to do enough. And I want to suggest to you, if that is our concept of what it means to be a Christian, dear friends, we have completely missed the mark. Because Christianity is to be about so much more than that. The truth is that the point of our conversion is just the beginning. And from that point, God wants to start molding us, conforming us more and more, Romans chapter 8 tells us, into the image of His Son. This life is preparation for eternity. To ready us for heaven, and not only that, but to ensure that we're able to take as many people with us as we can. Christ wants more than our faithful attendance. He wants more than our good works. He wants our very life. I mentioned earlier about hearing a gospel preacher years ago. I want to tell you more about what I heard that changed my life that night in relation to this topic. He started talking about how fervently he wanted to cultivate his personal relationship with God far beyond what happens during the worship service. But he was interested in having an intimate personal relationship with God every day of his life. And so he said it was the the most important relationship in his life. It was the relationship that brought him the most joy. And then he said, I go into my prayer room. I had never heard of a prayer room. I go into my prayer room and I will read and I will fall on my face before the Lord. And I will say, Lord, what is your will for my life? And through his study of the word, he will sometimes wrestle with God in that prayer room right off his study. And sometimes he said he would be there three hours because of his desire to know the Lord and to know what his will is for his life. And so he makes that his daily habit He said, it's the best, most important time of my life. I heard him one time say to the congregation, if you think that all I do to prepare a lesson is jot down a few scriptures and get up here and talk to you, you have no idea how I live my life. Because my life is consumed with knowing what is your will for me, God. Teach me first before I ever attempt to get up here and teach others. That's what we're talking about in regard to having a personal relationship with God. And it's no surprise then that when that particular preacher is given a chance to give advice to younger preachers in training, he always says the same thing. And that is, 
the most important time you will ever spend in your personal ministry is not the time you spend preparing a lesson. But it is the time that you open this book, this Word of God for yourself to see, God, what are you saying to me? What is your will for my life? What are you trying to teach me? I so vividly remember hearing that. And I thought to myself, well, you mean there's more? You mean there's, there's supposed to be? There can be more to the Christian life, this life I've committed to, than just going to church on Sunday mornings, Sunday nights, and Wednesday nights? You see, I was one of them. The concept of Christianity, until that point, had been just become a Christian and do the best you can. And it was that night that I realized God, Christ, wants so much more. And that's what I want us to talk about tonight. You may be thinking, is it, is it true? Does God really want that kind of relationship with us? I could give you a host of reasons that I even have here in my notes, but time will only permit me to give you five. How do I know? How am I convinced? Why do I suggest so strongly to you that Christ wants to be a part of our life every day and an intimate part? Well, here are five reasons. Number one, because 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17 says that we are to pray without ceasing, without stopping. That tells me that He wants to be intimately connected with us. He wants us to be dependent upon Him constantly. Another reason is because of Matthew chapter 6, verse 8. The Bible tells us that God knows our needs before we ask Him. But He still wants us to ask Him. The Bible says He knows our thoughts before we think them. How do I know? Because His heart, as the song says, His heart is touched with our grief, with my grief. When we go to John chapter 11 and we read about the death of Lazarus, the shortest verse in the Bible tells us that He cared. It says Jesus wept. He is intimately acquainted with our sorrows, with our needs, with our burdens, with our hopes, with our dreams. He cares. And most importantly, we can know that God desires this kind of intimate, personal, daily relationship with Him beyond the services of the church because Christ Himself modeled it. Mark chapter 1, verse 35 tells us that early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he, where he prayed. Christ had such an intimate relationship with His Father that He even talked to Him from the cross in all of His agony and all of His pain. I do think it's a, a, perhaps a problem and perhaps the biggest struggle that we Christians face is extending our Christianity beyond the walls of this church building into our day-to-day -day life. Not that we don't try, but without maintaining that intimate connection with God, which we're going to talk more about in two minutes, we lose the power that our lives are designed to have. We lose the inability to, to handle temptation. We lose the ability to live victoriously and above the cares and, uh, and concerns of this world that Satan would pull us down with. There's a little book called The Inner Life that speaks to this very thing. And I want to read to you what it says in the very beginning because it's a good analogy, I think, of what we're talking about tonight. It says, In the country of South Africa, 
there are various diseases that affect the orange trees. One of them is known by the name of the root disease. It says a tree may be bearing fruit, and an ordinary observer may not notice anything wrong. However, an expert can see the beginning of a slow death. This disease also affects the vineyards, and only one cure has been found. That is to take out the old roots and provide new ones. The old vine is grafted onto a new root. In time, you will have the same stem and branches and fruit as before, but the roots are new and able to resist the disease. The disease comes in the part of the plant that is hidden from sight, and that is where healing must also take place. Now listen. The Church of Christ and the spiritual life of thousands of its members suffer from root disease, the neglect of secret communion with God. It is the lack of secret prayer, the neglect of the maintenance of a hidden life that is rooted and grounded in love, Ephesians 3.17, that explains the inability of the Christian to resist the world and its failure to produce fruit abundantly. Nothing can change this except the restoration of the inner chamber in the life of the believer. As Christians, as we learn to daily sink our roots deeper into Christ and to make secret personal fellowship with God our main priority, true godliness will flourish. And then it ends by quoting Romans chapter 11, verse 16 that says, If the root be holy, so are the branches. What is the solution? Someone said, I'll tell you exactly what it is. It's starting every day in the Word of God. He said, we try to make it so difficult, but that is the key. Another author wrote and said, it is impossible to live our daily Christian life without a daily close fellowship with God. The daily need for a time of solitude and quiet to pray and read God's Word is of utmost importance. This time spent in fellowship with God will bring a blessing, strengthen our spiritual life, and prepare us to meet the world. Do you remember in Luke chapter 10 the story of Mary and Martha? And Mary's making pre- Martha rather is making preparations because the Savior is there visiting. And she's doing her best because they have company. Mary, on the other hand, is at the Lord's feet listening and learning to Him. And it's interesting, every time we read about that Mary in the Scriptures, she's always at the Lord's feet. She apparently knew the only appropriate place to be when in the presence of the Savior. Martha gets upset. Jesus says, Martha, Martha, one thing is needed. And Mary has found that good part. And it will not be taken away from her. He was referring to the spiritual food that was far more important than anything physical that they were going to do. And the challenge for you and me in this busy, hectic, crazy world clamoring for our attention is to find time, to carve out time, and to protect time to be still and know that He is God. God is not found in the hurry. God is not found in the rush. God is found in the quiet. 
God is found in the calm. God is found in the beauty of nature. And we have to find that time. I need Thee every hour, O gracious Lord. O make me Thine indeed. I need Thee. Oh, I need Thee. Every hour I need Thee. Oh, bless me now, my Savior. I come to Thee. If the only Bible you and I get is the time we open it together as a corporate body of believers. It is not enough. It's no wonder we have sins in our life that are not taken care of. It's no wonder that we have little influence on the world. It is no wonder that we are tempted to laugh at the jokes that may be told at the office. It requires a daily consideration and discipline. What I would like to do with you now is to make some suggestions that other Christians have found to be helpful through the years in regard to establishing, re-establishing, whichever the case may be, this daily time with the Lord. Just suggestions. The first one is this. Having a set time can be helpful. Having a time where you set aside and you know that's what you're going to do. Now earlier I mentioned that something about getting up in the morning. Well, it's true that morning seems to historically have been the time that most saints of God have found to be the best time for fellowshipping with the Lord. Many Christians regard it as both a duty and a responsibility and a privilege to devote some portion of their day along with the Lord to seek His fellowship. Does the Bible support that? Absolutely. David wrote in Psalm chapter 5, verse 3, he said, My voice shall you hear in the morning, O Lord. In the morning I will direct my prayer unto thee and will look up. Does it have to be the morning? No. Some people find that lunchtime is better or even late in the evening if they're alert enough. But there's something about spending the first half hour of the day with the one in charge of our day who knows what we're going to face and can equip us for it. The first challenge of the day is no question this one. It's called Mind Over Mattress. Because Satan will tempt us. Oh, you can do that tomorrow. Let us go to sleep so that we can wake up. It may require getting up 30 minutes earlier. Satan will fight us, but we have to have... It helps, not have to. It helps if we have a time that we know and can put on our calendar that nothing can interfere with that. Many people feel that morning is the best time before uh, people get up in the family and things start happening. That's their moment of quiet. A time can be helpful. Secondly, having a place can be helpful. A certain room, a corner of a room, maybe an area outside in the garden. The movie War Room that some of you surely saw focused on this idea of having a room where you go and meet with God. And inside that room, as I recall, which was not much bigger than a closet, but there were post-it notes on the wall, prayer concerns, prayer requests, and that's where that actress, that character in that film, went to do business with God. We're talking about a place where you can get away. Now, do you have to have a place? No. But there is something about having a place that helps our mind get in tune because we know when we go to that place, that's what we're doing. And we can get to it quicker. What does the Bible say about having a place? 
Matthew chapter 6, verse 6 says, But you, when you pray, go to your room, and when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret. You see, it's time we spend alone with Him. The Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. That's the New King James. It talks about going into your room. The King James Version calls it your closet. The American Standard says when you enter into your inner chamber. And notice it says when, not if. When you go to pray. Having a time can be helpful. Having a place can be helpful. And thirdly, having a set plan can be helpful. And by that, I'm talking about what to do during that time. Is there an order we can follow? You can find all kinds of suggestions about this. I'd like to just share one with you. This is one person's suggestion. Believers should spend at least half an hour a day in private devotions and strive to work up to longer times. They should find a quiet, private place large enough to kneel and sit to read. I suggest starting by focusing on the Lord with praise, spoken or sung, even if this seems awkward at first. Next are thanksgiving and confession, acknowledging that we need forgiveness every day. Intercession follows, preferably on a schedule. For instance, you might pray for your family and friends every day, but on Monday you would also pray for the church, and on Tuesday you would also pray for our country, and so forth. Scripture reading, followed by prayer and reflection, are essential and can be implemented by a good study guide, good Bible study guide. And he adds, in doing this, you will be with the only one who can meet your every need, and you will start to become who he wants you to be. You can find lots of plans and lots of ideas about how to make the most of that time with the Lord every day. But they seem to all have three elements in common, and here they are. The first one is, it's important that we spend time in prayer. As one, one author wrote, he said, your prayer life is the most important part of your life. If that's not right, nothing else is going to be right. That's where we acknowledge our dependence on God. That's where we get ourselves recentered. Our priorities are, are once again established and we're seeking that His will be done. He's personally interested in you. He knows all about you, past, present, and future. He knows how long you're going to live. And He knows what He has equipped, equipped you to do best. Some people pray out loud. They feel like that helps them stay focused. I know someone who said they found a room deep in a building somewhere. You would have to go through several doors to get there so that they did not have to be concerned about someone hearing them. And then there's the matter of posture when we pray. The Bible doesn't specify any posture particularly that must be followed. But some people really feel that it's best and it helps them most when they kneel. Now God knows we can't all kneel. He understands that. But for those of us who can, it can make a difference in our prayers. God honors the spirit of humility. And there is something psychological to us when we kneel. Someone has said, fight all your battles on your knees and you'll win every time. Some people in praying to God during this time even lie down on their face on the floor. 
And prayer literally means to prostrate yourself. And so at times it can refer to that very thing. Prayer is a common element. The second common element we tend to see is Bible study. Psalm 119 is a beautiful chapter. It's the longest one in the whole Bible. But boy, it's worth reading every once in a while because it's all about God's Word and the treasure that is God's Word. Several verses that we know come from there. Let me give you two. Psalm 119 verse 11 says, I have hidden your word in my heart so that I may not sin against you. Psalm 119 verse 105 says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Sometimes just enough to know the next step, but that's what it is in my life. And then Psalm 1, regarding what the godly man and the godly woman are like compared to the ungodly man and ungodly woman, it says that for the godly man and woman, the delight of their life is that they delight in the law of the Lord. And in His law they meditate day and night. They will be like a tree firmly planted by the rivers of water. They will be protected. They will bear fruit in its season. The leaf will not wither. And whatever they do, they will prosper. Now friends, listen. This Bible is not a magical book. But it is a supernatural book because of who wrote it. And that's why you will hear people say, every time I read it, I get something different. Don't you know God knew that if we could read it one time and get what we needed, we would just put it on the shelf and be done. But that's not the way the Word of God is. It's a treasure. God's Word is an exposer, a purifier, a cleanser. If I told you tonight that there was a treasure buried just outside this building, and if you would go dig it up, you could have it, How many of us would go and shovel a couple of times and not find it and quit? We wouldn't do that because we know there's a treasure there. And that's the way God's Word is. And we must keep digging. Romans chapter 12 verse 2 says, We are not to be conformed to this world. Don't let the world shape you into the way that it thinks. But you and I are to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And this is how we do it. Brother Cecil May at the University Church said a few months ago, and I don't think I'll ever forget it, he said the greatest problem we face today is that Christians don't read their Bible. And it's true. This is where the power is. It's a discipline. And he's not talking about the Bible we hear when we're here together. He's talking about on our own. It is a discipline, but it leads to the greatest blessing and the best relationship available to us in the whole world. You show me someone who neglects regular time in this book, and I will show you someone in whose life sin is having a dominating effect. You cannot avoid regular time in this book and walk godly. No preacher is an exception. No elder is an exception. No deacon is an exception. No one is an exception. We have to be in God's Word. It gives us God's viewpoint. It gives us the strength. It gives us the power. Any wonder, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15 says, Study to show yourself 
approved, not what Doug or other, the others that speak here may say. We're to be studying to show ourselves approved. May God never let it be true of us what was said in Hosea chapter 4, verse 6, when he said, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Let us be students of His Word. But not just knowledge, but application of it. Knowledge, as someone said, is knowing what to do. But wisdom is actually doing it. It's not about how many scriptures we have applied to memory. It's about how many we have applied to life. To life. Prayer is a a constant part. Bible study is a constant part. And the third one is meditation. The Bible says the godly man, his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. What does it mean to meditate? Well, it's not just reading through the Bible in a year. Though that's a noble goal. It is possible for us to read through the Bible in a year and completely miss God. Meditation is thinking deeply about it. Lord, what are you saying to me? Is there any truth here that I'm to comprehend? Is there any promise that I'm to, uh, to what's the word, that I'm to uh, cling to? Is there any sin in this passage that I'm to avoid? Friends, we don't have to be in a hurry. This is a book for a lifetime. It's not how much we read, it's that we read. And there may be times we don't go past one verse for a week or longer because we are convinced that God is trying to show us something and teach us something in that passage of Scripture. Thinking deeply about it, that's meditation. Letting its truth sink deeply into the recesses of our mind and heart. Now, we've talked so far about how it can help if you have a time, how it can help if you have a place, how it can help if you have a plan. And that plan should include Bible study and prayer and meditation. Now let me suggest to you some barriers to to doing this, to trying to do this in your life. Whether you're currently doing it, then you'll know these things are true, or whether you want to start doing it. Just try to start doing it and watch what happens. Because Satan will be there to try to distract you. He will have something come up that will make you think, well, I'll try it again tomorrow. And that's why I suggest to you, we have to guard that time at all costs. Friends, if our schedule is too busy to allow us to find time to spend with God every day, then we are busier than God ever intended for us to be. If we are too busy to regularly commune with God, What's the point? What's the point? You may find yourself, as I have, you you go down to do this and you start thinking, why can't I get my mind around this? I'm having to read this same passage over and over. Or when I pray, my mind is just going a thousand different directions. Well, that's Satan. And that's as one person once said, that is the time you must press through all the more. Because the Bible says in the book of James, resist the devil and he will flee from you. He will attempt to wear us out. He will try to entice us to not get enough sleep the night before so we will be too sleepy to do it. And it can't even be things that are not necessarily bad, but they can distract us. It can be a text message. Bing! 
It can be a telephone call. It can be an email. Do you know it can take up to 15 minutes to get your mind back on what you were doing if you were focused on something and you get a distraction like that? We have to guard against these things. Perhaps leave the phone out of the room. It can be our other hobbies or interests, but anything that would compete with our priority of this has to go. Five benefits of spending time with God. What are the benefits? And these are just five. There surely are so many more. But number one, it secures Christ's presence in our life for the day. We know we have placed our day and our schedule that we are facing into the hands of the one in charge of it and who knows everything we are going to face that day. It sets the tone for our day. And the whole day then responds to the first half hour we have spent. It's when we and it's where we rededicate ourselves to Christ. Christ said he who would follow me or pick up his cross and pardon me, he who would follow after me, take up his cross daily and follow me. And we're recommitting ourselves to that every day. Thirdly, it's where God continues to do the, the refining work in our life of shaping us and molding us into the image of Christ so that we will be living the best life He has designed for us in this world. Fourthly, others will see Christ living in us. You know how you can just tell that some people have been with God? Can you tell? I, I feel like I can tell. You can just know. And it's like the book of Acts chapter 4 verse 13 that says when those scribes and Pharisees and rulers saw the boldness of Peter and John and they perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled and they realized that they had been with Jesus. You don't have to have formal degrees of education on your wall to spend time with Jesus. In fact, some of the most godly people Maybe those who don't have degrees at all, but they're wiser than those of us who do because they have allowed God to be their teacher. Others can see it in us. And fifthly, the most important benefit of committing ourselves to this relationship day by day is that Christ Himself will be there. It's an intimate communion like no other. A risen Christ waits to meet us. So that when people meet us, they automatically feel like they've met Him. I want to conclude this evening and thank you for being such attentive listeners. I want to conclude with a story in the next four minutes that I heard years ago and have never forgotten it. And it's the perfect summation, I believe, of what we've been talking about. The writer says, whenever the Winter Olympics come around... I have a persistent memory that keeps flashing back in my brain. It was February and I was speaking at a conference in Holland. The Winter Olympics were going on in Europe of that year, but they weren't on my radar until that afternoon I had the TV on in my room while I was getting dressed for the next meeting. The commentary was all in Dutch, which was Greek to me, until the announcer spoke a name I knew. In high school, she had been an active member of a Christian campus club that I directed. She heard about Jesus there and eventually decided to become a Christian. I hadn't seen her since she had been in high school until that afternoon in Holland. There she was, an Olympic ice skater representing the United States. 
When I think Winter Olympics, I remember the amazing surprise of seeing what that young woman had become. Actually, I wasn't totally surprised because I knew this girl when the Olympics could not have been more than a distant dream to her. Every morning of the week, while her fellow students were still in bed, she was at the local ice rink practicing and practicing. While her friends were relaxing during the summer, she was in a Colorado training program, working and working. At one point, the teenage blonde who became an Olympian was in the rink when a tornado hit. She was seriously injured when the roof collapsed, but she battled back from that injury to practice and work even harder. During those European Olympics, the world saw her in all her Olympic glory. We knew her long before that, and we knew how she got there. Through a thousand invisible mornings where she paid the price to be a champion, no one saw her, and no one cared if she was at that rink or not, but she just kept showing up. And then he says, it turns out that the secret of being a spiritual champion is pretty much the same. A thousand invisible mornings with Jesus. He sets the example by showing up morning after morning to spend time with his father, which Jesus did. The first job of a disciple is to be with Jesus. You can tell when someone has spent a lot of time with Jesus. There's something magnetic about them, an authority, a confidence, a power, a caring. People become like the one they hang out with. When you hang out with Jesus, you become more and more like Him. Why are there so many Christians who have a head full of Jesus, but live such ordinary, even hypocritical lives? Why do so many of us have a roller coaster faith with occasional glorious highs but punctuating long stretches of bland mediocrity? It's because we won't pay the price to be a champion. That price is to make our daily time with Jesus non-negotiable, the anchor of our daily schedule, the sun around which all the other planets in our life must revolve. Christian services and events won't do it. Great Bible teaching or Christian fellowship won't do it. There simply is no substitute for the love-driven discipline of spending time with Jesus. We meet Him in His book. It's the love letter that allows us to hear His heart until we can be in His presence. That enables us to be with Him until we can really be with Him in heaven. A vibrant, powerful relationship with Jesus Christ is rooted in those thousand invisible mornings with Jesus. No one will know if you show up except Jesus. But if you do show up consistently, people will notice the difference and be strangely drawn to the Jesus in you. He'll show up tomorrow morning as He has every morning since you met Him. Be there. Let us pray. Father, we are so thankful that You desire to know us intimately and to relate to us in every possible way and that You want to strengthen us and mold us into the image of Your Son. I pray, Father, that You will help us to contemplate the words that You've given us and and use them to fortify our lives so that we can 
become more closely connected with you through a daily interaction with you that we will uh, protect at all costs. We love you and we thank you for the privilege of loving you. In your son's name we pray. Amen.